Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, episode number 23 for Wednesday, June the 8th, 2016. Hey guys, and thanks for joining me on this episode of the John Campia Podcast. I'm joined by a very special guest from Collider Video. My former assistant, actually, Wendy Lee, joins us. We're going to talk a little bit about those crazy J.K. Simmons pictures going around where the dude is jacked. We're going to talk about some comic book movie stuff. We're going to talk about some Scorsese and DiCaprio and De Niro and which is the better combination. All that and much more. So sit back, relax. The John Campia Podcast starts right now. Hey guys, and thanks for joining me for this installment of the John Campia Podcast. I'm not even sure what the date is. What is it? It is Wednesday, June the 8th. It's June 8th already. (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, And today's a special one. I've actually got somebody sitting in with me. I have the wonderful Wendy Lee sitting in. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. We're doing this actually in the uh, Collider Studio offices before the day really gets rolling and uh, first of all, Wendy, thanks for doing this with me. Oh, you know, thank you for having me. This is going to be so much fun. Yes. And I thought for, like, everybody's heard your name. Everybody mm-hmm. knows a bit about you. But I thought we would start this off letting people know a little bit more about you. And maybe you could tell us a story about how you got involved with <laughs> Collider in the first place. Well, that's a funny story because my husband, Dustin, is a huge fan of when it was AMC Movie Talk. A right. huge fan of you. And anytime you guys had sort of like a... Uh, event that's like meet and greet or whatever in you know the area and he's like let's go and see if we can like see them and then we'll stand up to the side and be both too afraid to come up and say hi <laughs> um especially the first time we saw Shanep because he doesn't look that big on screen and then you walk up to him and he's, he's like, huge he's huge he's towering over over everybody and Dustin's like go say hi I'm like no he's probably gonna be really mean <laughs> um so but then uh Dustin saw on Facebook on your Facebook John that you were looking for an assistant Right. And I've had some experience, you know, being personal assistant and whatnot. And he said, please humor me, please, and apply. And I said, no way. He's <laughs> going to have so many choices. I'm nobody. He's never going to pick me. Just humor me. Just do it. Fine. So I submitted my application. And about three hours later, I had a meeting for the next day. And then it was three meetings later, John. You put me through three, three meetings, meetings yeah. with you and Dennis and Amy Rose. And it was, like, really intimidating with Dennis, too, because I didn't even know how to talk anymore. And two weeks later, I found that I got the job, and it's just evolved ever since. Now I kind of run the schedule for Movie Talk. Well, you, I mean, you do more than run the schedule for Movie Talk. <laughs> and I, I still remember the first time I met your husband, Dustin. Mm-hmm. It was like years ago, and I was at – and he reminded me about this recently. But I was at Costco, and I had just – me and Ann had gone shopping at Costco, and she had gone to get the car, and I'm standing there with all of our stuff – Oh, yeah. And your husband came walking up to me and said, excuse me, you're John Campier, right? I'm like, yeah. And I, So I met him there, and, and it was years later that he reminded me, hey, That's remember right. meeting a fan outside of Costco? I'm That's like, yeah. Right. And he's like, that was me. But <laughs> you did more. Your background was more than just a little bit of personal assistance. I mean, mm-hmm. like you over at Universal Studios there, you were doing a lot of the administration there. You coordinated a lot of yeah. the talent. So like you had a lot of that stuff. And now today, like you started off – as just my assistant, like, just taking care of some details for me. Mm-hmm. But, like, within a few months, like, you were the production coordinator for just about everything that we're doing. And today, you, like, everything that happens in Collider Video World runs through you. 
It goes through kind you at some insane. point. Yeah, you're kind of like that. <laughs> that uh, you're the not the bottleneck because that's a negative thing. You're like the, the, you're like the main cog that everything needs to go through to run. Like you schedule everybody. Yeah. You make sure everything's working. You schedule the two studios. Mm-hmm. Like it's just an amazing amount of work that goes on in here now. It can get really overwhelming at times, um, but I have to say, oh, to you because without you and the opportunity that exists in the first place, I would have never learned any of this. You know, this is like scheduling two studios and all the, like, what, six million shows that we have. It's more than what I've ever done before. So this is, I still learn every day and I still make mistakes, but that's how we learn and I and I love it. And you're day. doing on camera, st- more on camera stuff yeah, now. Yeah, it's been you were, fun. You were doing some mailbag stuff, but now you're like doing daily stuff on movie talk. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the chat room hanging out with the peoples. It's very cool seeing you do all that <laughs> stuff. All right. So, guys, as we have been doing, I leave programming this show up to you guys now by having you jump on my Facebook page when I put up a post about it and to leave what topics you want us to cover. But I I didn't look to see if this one is in there, so I got to talk about this one first. Okay. Have you seen the pictures of J.K. Simmons? Are you talking about he kind of – he's at the gym? The bodybuilding ones. So that's definitely him? Here's the thing. (laughs) I look – if you guys don't know, look this up if you don't know what we're talking about. J.K. Simmons, the guy who played J. Jonah Jameson in Spider-Man, just won the Academy Award uh, two years ago for Best Supporting Actor. So there are these pictures circulating of him with this big gray beard in the gym looking like the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> yeah. Working out. And look, forget the fact that it's J.K. Simmons. Even if it's just some random person. To me, the picture looked fake. It just looked like a fake picture. Not, like, forget that it was J.K. Simmons. The picture looked fake. But then there were a bunch of other ones, and some of them look kind of legit. But there are several sources coming out now saying, no, actually, these images are legit. This is what he looks like. He is 62 years old. And he honestly, it, this is an exaggeration. He looks like The Rock. <laughs> like, the dude looks like The Rock yes. right now. I'm still having a hard time believing that's him. Like, I feel like I'm looking at the picture right now and like the body and the head doesn't match up. Like, I feel like the shoulders are a little bit too small for the head. That's why I was saying I felt like forget if it was just some random old guy, not J.K. Simmons. Mm -hmm. It looked like a fake picture to me. But then you go back and you look at, oh, what's the the drum movie um, that he just won his Academy Award? Drum movie? Uh, Whiplash. Yeah, Whiplash. If you go back to Whiplash, clearly he was in really good shape for Whiplash. But this is on a whole new level. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, like he, if you forgot, he's been cast to play Commissioner Gordon in the upcoming Batman movies. And it's going to look like he can beat up Batman because <laughs> this dude looks like just sick. I mean, if truly this is him, then props to him for taking care of his body and going to the gym and making like some 20 years old don't even look like this. I, no, some? <laughs> some 20 years old look like that? I've never seen a 20 year old look like that. That is just sick. All right. Okay. Let's go on to the, the first question today that came in on the Facebook page. And this one comes from uh, Lemuel Uriah James who writes, hey, does Game of Thrones have enough of a fan base where ending the show with the movie will be successful. The, now, oh. the, the concept of a, of a Game of Thrones movie comes up, has come up a lot. But, mm-hmm. And generally speaking, movies or TV shows don't turn into good movies. Right. There was one exception with the first X-Files movie. The first X-Files movie was a hit, but that was, an, like, that was just out-of-nowhere kind of oddity because in the second X-Files movie, mm-hmm. completely bombed. <laughs> then there was Sex in the City. 
Yes. But then Sex and the City 2. First one was cute. The second one, not so much. No, the second one was completely terrible. But so a lot of people have been asking idea about doing a movie of Game of Thrones while the show is still going on. This specific question is asking, hey, if they ended the, the show's run, say after season seven or season eight, does the show have enough viewers to justify a motion picture to end the story? Oh. I've always kind of thought that a Game of Thrones movie, and everybody knows I hate prequels, mm-hmm. but a Game of Thrones movie set back a hundred years ago, or however long ago dragons used to be around. And going back to that timeline, that could be interesting. But here's the interesting thing. Like we do, we've done a number of recap shows on Clyder, and by far the most popular one is the Game of Thrones recap. Like yes. there's over 100,000 views of that recap show every single episode. I tend to think that Game of Thrones would be that exception. I think a Game of Thrones, if they ended this show after like season seven mm-hmm. and then did a movie, I think the movie would be successful. But if they run the show into the ground, then like, it would be. Yeah, good. if they run like 13 seasons and every season the, the ratings dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped and then they just ran into the ground, then it wouldn't work. But I don't know. Let's say for argument's sake, Wendy, okay. that they finish this season and then they finish next season. And then they say, we're completing this story with a two-hour, 45-minute feature film. Yeah. Do you think it could work? Do I think it can work? Yes, based on the fan base and how popular it is. But I don't feel that it needs that transition from television to movie to get people to go see it. If you're going to do a two-hour, then make it an event on HBO. And everybody, I mean, you pay for HBO anyways. People will tune in and see it. And I don't necessarily know if I want to see what I see on TV every Sunday to translate to movies because then that's when you're adding more producers and more people, more hands in the pot. And now now it could get pulled different ways. And I think that's where sometimes TV to movies don't work because there's too Mm. many people trying to take the reign. And I think it would throw some people for a loop because Game of Thrones is a very, and this isn't a bad thing, Game of Thrones is a very slow-moving show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you can do that when you have... 10 episodes every season you can do. You can drag everything out. I think it would be very odd for an audience to suddenly shift gears because now you've got two and a half hours, period. You've got to tell your whole story, mm-hmm. this storyline, and wrap it up in two and a half hours. And I think a lot of fans who watch Game of Thrones or have been watching for all six years, that would feel like a really different change of yeah. gears. That would feel that would almost feel like a different show. But yeah. I still think people would go out in droves. Oh, to definitely, see it. definitely. All right, let's try this next question. This next one comes from Gabriel Amaya. Why do comic book film? Why is it that comic book films can't follow the source material? I see a lot of fans that don't understand why. Um, well, this is a question that comes up a lot too. I mean, mm-hmm. because you know, look, you look at Captain America: Civil War. Does not. It is not the Civil War story from the comic book. You look at X-Men Days of Future Past, that is not the Days of Future Past from the comic book. You look at just about anything going on, whether it's the TV shows don't follow the comic books, the movies don't follow the comic books. They, they, I mean, they, they take certain important elements from the comic books, but then they take liberties. And what I've always said to that is this, is that you have to understand different mediums. There's the printed page, then there are illustrated printed pages, and then there's audio, and then there's audio with video. These are all different mediums. And just because a story plays well in one medium doesn't mean it'll play well in another medium because it was made 
four different mediums. So like a lot of stories – you know what's a great example of that? Mm-hmm. Um, the first Dan Brown, uh, the one that Tom Hanks was in, uh, Da Vinci Code. Yes. Da Vinci Code is so faithful to the book. Right. And it's terrible. I thought – I thought – see, because they, they told – they did not do any adaptation. They just basically tried to be as faithful to the book as possible without thinking, yeah, just because it worked in the book, does that mean it will work on a movie screen and should we change things up? They were like, no, screw it. We're just going to be as faithful to the book as possible. And even though the book was amazing, yeah. I thought the movie was a mess. Right. Um, so it's just a matter of – look, they have to look at these stories and say – what will work best on screen? Because this is one of the things I always say. The, the responsibility of a filmmaker is not to be as faithful to the source material as possible. The number one responsibility of the filmmaker is to make the best movie possible. And, and you know what? Look at the results. Yeah. Days of Future Past was amazing. X-Men Civil War was amazing and mm-hmm. doing great works. But I don't know. If someone comes up to you and says, why can't they stick to the source material how would you respond? I mean, I think you're 100% right. Uh, what is made for a book or a comic book doesn't translate word for word and page to page right, to yeah. the screen. Uh, I would even say for Lord of the Rings. I mean, I feel like that's the best book to screen adaptation I've seen so far. But if you look at, you know, if you're a fan of the book and you look at the book versus Fellowship of the Ring, it doesn't really match up exactly. I mean, right. they left the Shire in like 20 minutes. In the book, yeah. it took him 30 years or so to yeah. leave. And where's Tom Bombadil? Yeah, and it's, you know, but you want to put all that in the movie, then everything gets convoluted. So instead of a two-hour and 49-minute movie, now we're going to get like a three-hour and a half, and nobody wants to sit there for that long. So you have to be, I think the, that's the job of the screenwriter to kind of take the source material and adapt it to the best they can. And they also have to think of the general audience because not everybody in the world who's going to see this movie are comic book fans. They're not going to know the source material. Yeah. And then you don't want the fans, these new fans that you could bring to the franchise to leave confused. I think – and that's part of the mentality. We have uh, like a herd mentality quite often and it's a normal human thing. We all do it. But like there's some 15-year-old named Billy and he's got a circle of five friends. And he and all of his five friends have read the Civil War story story mm-hmm. in the comic books, right? So to Billy, to him, the world – because remember, that's his circle. The world has read Civil War. Yes. But we forget to think outside of our own tribe because the, while the fact that Billy – in my circles and probably your circles, yeah. almost everybody in your circles has read Civil War, mm-hmm. almost nobody else has. Like if you, if you take – if you go to Captain America Civil War at the movie theater – and then pull the 800 people coming out of the cinema. How many of you actually read Civil War? I guarantee you less than 5%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Less than 5%. But we forget that because our tribe, which is our world, mm-hmm. has read them. And so we just think that the world thinks that way. Exactly. It's kind of weird that way. All right. Let's move on to the next one. This one comes from uh, Victor Figueroa who writes, Your thoughts on the Flash Season 2 finale and oh. also an overall review of the season. Um, let me start with you. What, what did you think of the finale? It's been a few weeks since we yeah, saw it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a few weeks. So spoiler here, uh, in case you're not caught up with it, uh, get on that. I uh, I thought this season, I mean, okay, I had I did not think Barry was going to try try to go all the way back to Save his saving mother his again. mother yeah. again. So that leaves me wonder, what the hell are they going to do with season three? Right. What are they going to do with it? But I did like what, how he got, um, how he defeated Zoom. Yes. I thought I thought that was great. Um, I thought the season finale as an episode kind of dragged a little bit for mm. me. It like it worked. Like I thought the one before that was much better. But of course, I wanted to watch it because it wrapped up the entire show. I really liked the Flash. 
I remember watching the very first episode from season one, and I thought, huh, this show's not going to work. It's so cheesy, and I love it. Yeah. I love it so much, and I tune in every Tuesday to watch it. So now I just wonder, does this erase everything that, that every episode has ever done, and does it affect all the other CW shows, like Arrow? Yeah, I look, here's the thing. I really... There were, there were times during season two that I thought, I don't know that I like this season as much as season one. Mm-hmm. But I think when it was all said and done, I think I did like it as much. I don't, I don't know that I liked it more than season one, but I think I liked it just as much. But it did drive me crazy that Barry is so dumb. Because, <laughs> like, hey, Barry, what happened the last time you tried to go back and save your mother? And despite the fact that everybody has warned you not to mess with the timeline yeah. and all this kind of stuff, you created a black hole that nearly destroyed the world and brought Zoom into our reality and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So what does he do to end season two? I'm going to try it again. And one of the things that frustrates me is that if he goes back in time and, like, resets the timeline and changes everything mm-hmm. – They've got to be very, very careful how they handle this because if this becomes a regular thing, it means that anything that happens in the show is irrelevant and has no consequences. Right. Because if Joe goes into a gunfight against bad guys and you're like, oh, Joe, come on, make it. You know, it doesn't matter if he makes it or not. You just run back in in time. In three episodes, Barry's just going to run back and change the timeline again. And it takes away any sense of consequences to what's going on. So while I like the – I mean I love The Flash. Yes. I think the, as, a, as a whole I love the show and I like season two as much as season one. Though I am a little bit worried though about how dumb they make Barry. <laughs> the fact that he doesn't seem to learn this lesson. he's supposed to be this like really smart genius He's supposed guy. to be this genius guy but he constantly ignores everybody else. He does whatever he wants to do even when – it puts – for him to get something for himself puts the world at risk. He's done it now several times. Yep. And then as showrunners and as writers, I think they got to be very careful how they handle this. How often does he go back in time and change time? Because it it t- makes for me as an audience member, I don't feel any dramatic tension anymore because no matter what happens in this episode, they can just reset it later. Right. For example, when uh, Zoom killed his dad – Yes. And I was and and I it yes, I was shocked, but then about 2 seconds later I went, well, is Barry going to run back in time and save his father? Yep. So it had no consequence. Mm-hmm. Unlike say something like Sons of Anarchy and I'm about to give away a little a little spoiler for Sons of Anarchy, guys. But like I think it was season 5 that Opie dies. Like because when they kill Opie, it's like that devastated me because there ain't <laughs> no fixing that. They nope. killed Opie. When you watch Game of Thrones, I mean, well, I mean, Jon Snow, they did bring him back. But yeah. it was kind of Game of Thrones. They killed my favorite character, Ned Stark, in season oh one. Oh, my God. They killed my favorite character. And I was like, fuck this show. I'm not watching this show anymore. They just killed my favorite guy. Of course, I came back and did keep watching the show. But I'm like, it, the consequences are real. So the dramatic tension is there. Even in Arrow, to a degree, even though they had the Lazarus pissed yeah. off. When you get messing with the timeline stuff too much, it just – there's no consequences. It doesn't matter what happens this episode. They can always just change it five episodes from now. Does Barry running all the way back to saving his mother means Laurel's going to come back? Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> I had to God. ask. I'm sorry because I know how you feel about Laurel. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's – well, it, I mean it – you know what? It mm-hmm. depends on how they treat – does Barry going back and doing that, is that going to affect all the other CW shows? Yeah. Is, Supergirl is one of the CW yeah. shows now too. So is it going to affect all of that? Or is it only – are they going to limit the repercussions of Barry's actions to his one show? It, we're just going to have to wait and see it how that It was kind of ballsy out. for them to do that. It was. 
All right, this next I, this is an interesting one. This next question comes from uh, Rudy Pena Jr., who writes, "What is your favorite concert film? Concert if you have one, film. I already, I mean, I already know mine. The only thing that comes to mind right now is Mr. Holland's Opus. Is that a concert film? No, I think a concert <laughs> film would be like. Um, Am I thinking too literal? I think you're thinking too like. No, no, I, th- I don't think you're thinking literal enough. Like, oh, the, oh, like oh. the film was a concert. Like to me, ah. my favorite concert film of all time, and it's I'm, I'm a little biased because it's also by my favorite band of all time, uh-huh. is I think it was 1996. I'll have to look it up. It was uh, – no, it was earlier than 96. It might have been like 92. Anyway, U2, Rattle and Hum. Oh. I love Rattle and Hum. I love yeah. that movie. So it's, it's kind of like a – so that's that would be my favorite concert film of all time. I would say I'm going to look up when that came up. Yeah, I'm, I would say for me, that's not really like a genre I really would go out and, and see. And I think that's why Mr. Holland's Opus came to mind because we saw that as a school field trip. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I was way off. It actually came out in 88. Rattle 88? And, yeah, Rattle and Hum came out in 1988. Wow. So that is a... Ooh, that's been a long time since that <laughs> one came out. Uh, give some more thought to that. I will. We'll, 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 I love that question, though. I'm um, going to Google exactly what concert film means. All right. Ty W. Uh, Rothermal writes, John, uh, next year I'll begin journalism in college. Congratulations. I'll begin journalism in college. Uh, what else should I do to get into your line of work? Straight out of Compton. <laughs> Sorry, that's um, what I was thinking about concert films. Uh, I, well, I don't know. That's not really a concert film. Really think but more of a documentary. Of think oh. more of a documentary that just is follows an actual concert. Okay. I'll think about it. Um, I think there was that one Metallica one, um, and I can't remember the name of the Metallica one. But okay, the, um, then we're gonna, we can move on from this. Michael Jackson. This is it. Oh, okay. You know, I never big, saw that. Big one. Michael fan. Yeah, did not see that one. Okay, so going back to Ty's question about you're going to school for journalism. Congratulations, Ty. That's a great move. Uh, what else should you do to get my line of work? And I'm really glad because a guy by the name of Matt McAndrew replied to your question. Uh, instead of me going into it here for 45 minutes, <laughs> go on to YouTube and search for a video called Getting Started in Online Film Talk. I put up uh, a couple of years ago like a two-hour video specifically talking about how to get involved, how to get started with a YouTube channel, with a podcast, with a blog, getting talking about movies or television or anything. It doesn't have to be movies or television. It can cover any topic at all. So I put up that video on YouTube. Just search for Getting Started in Online Film Talk, and you should be able to find my video there, and that will answer your question better than I could right now. All right, next question comes from Pedro Ordonez, who writes, What do you think about Lionsgate wanting to make seven Power Rangers films? Well... Um, let me give you this big disclaimer first. Uh, as of right now, there, I know there are some there are some idiots out there who go, John gets paid by Disney. Oh, here we go. No, that's <laughs> not true. But I do get paid by Lionsgate. <laughs> that that is absolutely true. I, my paycheck is signed by the people at Lionsgate. Um, so, uh, so take that with a big disclaimer, okay? okay? What do I think about them announcing seven Power Rangers films? Well, look. I have said this all along. I think Power Rangers to start, doing another Power Rangers movies to start, is a bad idea. I do. But I have also always said, since the first news, the news first came out about this, that, however, there are ways you could treat a reinvented Power Rangers that could be pretty cool. There are, like, I didn't like that fan film 
that Power Rangers fan film uh-huh. that got put online. I know a lot of people loved it. Right. I didn't like it myself, but what that fan film did show was that there are different ways to interpret Power Rangers. There are different ways you could approach Power Rangers. And even though I'm not a fan of the idea, I think there are things you could do that could make it pretty damn interesting. Now, as far as, I think it was the Lionsgate CEO that said, we're going to do seven Power Rangers movies. I was joking with Dennis about it afterwards. I said, why didn't he just come out and say, we're going to make a bajillion Power Rangers (laughs) movies? It would have made just as much sense. Look, every movie studio wants to make seven, 10, 15, 20 movies in a franchise Mm -hmm. and milk them and make as much money as they can and win as many fans as they can. They do. But do you remember that movie about the dragon? What was that? Aragon? Yeah. Okay, right? Super popular book. They finally made the movie. Jeremy Irons was in it. Um, And they planned for it. They planned to make the full trilogy. They planned to make the full trilogy. Well, guess what happened? The first movie sucked. Nobody went to go see it. And even though it ends with John Malkovich going, No, my dragons, we will conquer the world. So (laughs) easy opening the door to the next movie. Right. They pulled the plug. It's super easy to say we're going to make seven of these movies, it's easy to say that. And of course they want to make seven. They want to make ten. They want to make 70 of them if they can. But it all depends on what happens with this first film. Iron Mike Tyson always had this great saying. He always used to say, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. (laughs) And that's what happened with Aragon, um, that they had the plan to do this big thing. And then they got punched in the mouth with a flop. But other than that, nothing wrong with all, at all with wanting to do seven. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Anyway, what, what were your guys' reactions? What was your reaction when you first heard about that? Well, luckily, I am not being paid by Lionsgate. <laughs> so, I mean, I am not really that keen on the idea of Power Rangers, to be honest with you. And when I saw the first images, I wasn't really impressed by the suits. I thought they looked a little too robotic. And I thought they, yeah. you know, we would see something more like Black Panther is, is something that sits better with me. But as far as like seven movies, I mean, sure, I think he's just really excited that they're finally making a Power Ranger. I guess he's really into it. And he's like, this is going to be great. I want to make seven of them. And I think for anybody making these movies, if you believe in it that much, you're that excited that you want to say publicly that there's going to be seven, that's great. But let's just see where the first one goes and how it's received and how it does in the box office. But then, like you said, John, if it doesn't do well, it's a total bomb. They can they can plug they can pull the plug, and oh, that's yeah. totally They'll, fine. Yeah, like because some people say, like if if it's let's say the first Power Rangers movie comes out, it makes sixty five million dollars, which I'm not saying it well. I'm just saying just for argument's sake, let's say it makes sixty five million dollars. And they decided to pull the plug. Then I know there's going to be a lot of people going, but they said they'd make seven. It's but like, John. But John, they said they'd make seven. All right, let's uh, – we still got a few minutes left here. So let's go to Marshall Weeks. He writes, do you think the comic book movie era will ever end? And if it does get to the point that they start losing money, do you think Disney slash Marvel and WBDC will ever get together and do an Avengers <laughs> versus a Justice League movie? Wow. Um, okay, will the comic book movie genre ever end? Absolutely it will. Everything ebbs and flows. Everything has its trends. It'll go away and it'll come back. And then it'll go away again and it'll come back. Now, right now, comic book movies are in full force. I mean, they're at the height of their power right now. They're doing they're making great movies. They're making great box office money. Um, things are going very, very well for it. But eventually all cycles come to an end. 
When it starts to peter out, should they do an Avengers versus Justice League? I've said this before, and nobody likes what I have to say, but it doesn't matter. I don't even want an Avengers versus Justice League movie. How awful would that be? Every you know, a movie puts in six characters, yeah. and everybody cries. It's overcrowding. Yeah, it's overcrowding. What the hell do you think is going to happen when they put forty characters in an Avengers versus? Uh, DC movie. No, Avengers vs. Justice League. No, it would be stupid. It would make no sense. It would, it would just be a music video. That's all it would be. <laughs> yeah. It would be a two-hour-long music video with no dramatic purpose. It would not make sense. DC and, and Marvel have done those crossovers in their comic books before where they've had Marvel heroes fighting DC heroes. But it was just a gimmick. The stories were never any good. Mm-hmm. They were just gimmicks to just see those people fight on screen. And I think it would be a train wreck of a movie. I just don't think there's any way to do that and do it right and do it well. I personally wouldn't even want to see it. So I'm going to go ahead and guess. No, never say never, though, because we've seen Stranger Things happen. Spider-Man's in the MCU now. Exactly. But putting getting Spider-Man in the MCU while still belonging to Sony is a little bit different than than having an Avengers versus Justice League movie. Yeah. So I don't think they will do one, but never discount it. But I also don't want one because I don't think it would be any good. What do you think? I think I agree with you. As much as I would I, – I personally would, would like to see something like that. But it's like you said. There wouldn't be a, a plot point or a concrete storyline. Like whose story do you follow? Do you go with Batman Who's Superman? your main character? Yeah. yeah. And who's your main villain? Because there's so many now, especially with you're going to bring in the Justice League. So – it would just be a very long, really cool-looking music video of everybody fighting and quirky one-liners in the comic book. And for something like that, that's so with so many characters that's dear and near to everybody's heart, leave it on the comic book. Leave it on like those YouTube videos that people create of the fan crossovers so it can be done for the fans and not on a giant franchise and try to make something out of, you know, Something that the, I don't even think they could actually grasp this and properly adapt it to, to screen. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, uh, Josh uh, Lathan writes, do you think Gambit will still get his own movie or will he best fit in an X-Men movie as a new addition? Well, listen, there's been a lot of drama around the Gambit movie because uh, Laura Schooner Donner a number of years ago came out and said she wants to do a Gambit movie and she wants to do a Channing Tatum. Then it came out that Channing Tatum was doing it. Then it mm-hmm. said Channing Tatum wasn't doing it. Then it came back on, no, 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 he signed, he's 100% committed. Then Gambit got dropped off the release schedule. It's never been re-released. No word from Channing Tatum. And a lot of people start thinking, that's it, Gambit's done. Then reports come out yesterday, I think, that Channing Tatum is now saying, no, I am fully committed to being Gambit. Oh. I am going to be Gambit. So this just came out yesterday. So it's okay, great. So he says he's going to be Gambit still. Um, still don't see anything on the, the books for a release date or anything. Look, what you're asking in the question, Josh, is do we think he'll get his own movie or will he be, be- best to fit into an X-Men film? I honestly think at this point it's best to fit him into an X-Men I film. I agree. Um, even with Channing Tatum. And look, I'm one of, I'll be in the minority here. I'm actually one of the guys who I have come to believe that I think Channing Tatum could be a pretty good gambit. But remember back a while ago when they first talked about Gambit, they said it was going to be a $150 million yeah. budget movie? Mm-hmm. And we all scratched our heads and said, what are they thinking? <laughs> you just did Deadpool for less than $50 million. Well, those flying cards cost a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of flying cards. I mean, why on earth do you need $150 million? So... I would say either do a standalone Gambit and do it like Deadpool, make it a $50 million budget movie, and you could make some money on that, or 
fit him into an X-Men movie because, uh, you know, they could use some freshening up. So somebody like Gambit in there could be pretty cool. I still feel bad for Taylor Kitsch. I or, know. Because Taylor Kitsch, I thought he was a real – I thought he could have been a very good Gambit. He just happened to be in a movie where the ca- character was poorly written mm-hmm. and the whole movie was bad. So I feel bad for him, but – I think he pulls. Anyway, what do you think would be the best move for Fox at this point? Let's assume they're going to move ahead with Gambit and mm-hmm. that we're going to see him on the big screen. And even let's assume it's going to be Channing Tatum for a minute. Yeah. Standalone Gambit movie or another character in X Men film? You're the head of Fox Studios. What Oof. do you do? Well, I would say I would like to see if, you, if you're going to make it Channing Tatum, then let's see him in an ensemble. Mm. Let's see him as a part of the X Men. Right. And then you pull him away from that and give him his standalone. Because now there's that fan base. You're bringing in, you know, the original fans of Gambit and X-Men. And you bring in new right. people that say, I, and just fans of Channing Tatum in general, that's going to flock to see this film. But build him up first. Get people excited. Tease him. And then give him his standalone. Then maybe you can stand behind that, what, what, how much is it? $150 million dollar budget. Uh, yeah. That's when you can do it, you know. But... I'm still – jury's still out on, on me uh, wanting to see Channing Tatum as Gambit. And for a lot of people. I think a, all, a, the jury's still for a lot of people on that. Now, I can already hear people across the internet, as you say, get him introduced mm-hmm. in an X-Men film, then spin him off. I can already hear people – and I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. Hear a lot of people screaming out, but they didn't have to do that with Deadpool. But, but they kind of did. Deadpool was a different situation. Yeah. Deadpool was a totally different situation. It's, it's a raunchy R-rated comedy at the same time. But this is the thing that drives me crazy is that people will often take – when people really want to make a point, mm-hmm. they will take an obscure exception to the rule and say, say see there? That's why you can do it. Because <laughs> yeah. I remember I had a guy write to me because I was talking about Star Wars and how I, you know, I, don't, I don't want there to be a Star Wars TV show. I think it would be very challenging to do a Star Wars TV show. But somebody wrote to me and said, well, John, if they can do Game of Thrones on a $100 million budget a year – it's like, yeah, yeah, but – Game of Thrones is a once-in-a-generation kind of show. Like, you want to point Game of Thrones, say, see, it can work. I'll point you to the 55 other shows that got canceled this year. Oh, right. You know, it's so it's, it's difficult to debate with, when people want to pull out the very rare exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. Deadpool, as an R-rated comic book film, remember, there have been like 12 R-rated comic book films. Yeah. All of them have failed, pretty much, have failed. So Deadpool comes around and proves it can be done. But it doesn't prove that, see, make an R-rated comic book movie and you'll make a fortune. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. The actual examples prove otherwise. It's just that Deadpool is the exception. And I think – I still think the best idea is exactly what you were saying, Wendy. Get him introduced in the X-Men, then spin him off. Yes, it worked doing it the opposite way for Deadpool, but I think Deadpool was the exception for a lot of different reasons. I think it's an exception too because Ryan Reynolds really stood behind that character. He was yes. already portraying Deadpool – and they did it wrong, so was now that was the running joke into making this much better rebooted, I guess, if you will, uh, Deadpool. But as Channing Tatum, we've never even seen him as a superhero yet. No, no, we haven't. No. Um, I mean, we've seen him kick ass and dance. Yeah, and <laughs> we've seen him dance, and he's he can be pretty damn funny. Right. Um, but we'll have to, the jury's still out. Okay, we got time for a few more here. Uh, Adrian Guerrero writes, "What is your role?" I'm assuming this is for me. What is your role at Comic-Con HQ? Do you produce multiple shows or just Film HQ? Um, very briefly, right now, I just produce uh, Film HQ, but I am going to be producing more shows, but that's all stuff for later down the line. 
Um, Luke Lee asks a very divisive question. Scorsese and De Niro or Scorsese and DiCaprio? Oh, my God. Now, five years ago. All of the above. <laughs> six years ago. That's, <laughs> six years ago, that's an easy answer. De Niro. It's, it's Scorsese, De Niro. Yeah. But Scorsese and DiCaprio have done so much together now and crushed it mm-hmm. every single time. I don't know, I'm going to make you answer first. I'm going to say DiCaprio Scorsese. <sighs> See, a, just because I, I think they because I'm younger, so yeah, maybe that's what it is. But it's also a what have you done for me lately? Because my my first reaction is probably say Scorsese DiCaprio, but is that is just because the most recent films have been Scorsese DiCaprio? Yeah, I think it's it's reactionary. But I don't know, man. It's hard to argue against Scorsese DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. I mean. Look at their track record, and they've got more to come. I'm waiting for a Scorsese, De Niro, DiCaprio. It'll happen. That's that's what I'm waiting for. That It'll has happen. to happen. Yep. So I'm gonna look. I'm gonna cheat, and I'm gonna take a push on this. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I can't call it. I cannot call yeah. it. That's way too close for I me. I think it's hard in, in already. I mean, if you're talking about you know really phenomenal actors, De, De Niro and DiCaprio, that have made remarkable films with this director. Yeah. It's it's hard to pick one. All right, um, Eric. Prajogo writes, thoughts on the success of Zootopia crossing $1 billion. A very nice surprise film. This is awesome. This is uh, kind of the same thing. I remember when Frozen, a a movie that not a lot of people paid much attention to when it was first coming out. Uh, Mark Ellis just walked in the room. If you could feel the cold chill (laughs) uh, over the audio file. (laughs) Um, You know... With, and, and of course, and the dog doesn't like. And it. of course, yes, uh, we got Grizz in the background barking. Um, but the, when Frozen came out, it caught a lot of people by surprise because not a lot of people thought that this was going to be much or that it was going to do much. Mm-hmm. And then it kept dominating the box office and dominating the box office. And before you know it, it hit a billion dollars. And it was, it was like, wait a minute, that hit a billion dollars and just yeah. kept going. Zootopia is another one of these things. I didn't even like the marketing. I didn't. Really? Think that, I didn't. Other than the sloth yeah. bit, that was funny. But the rest of the trailers, I honestly didn't think the movie looked all that good. And I really enjoyed Zootopia. I thought it was very good. But is is it in my top like three or four animated films of the past five years? No. But it is a good movie, and it's entertaining, and it's fun, and I enjoyed it. And it's it's always nice to see movies that are like that. Succeed, especially when they come out of nowhere, because nobody thought Frozen was going to do that kind of business. <laughs> right. And certainly, I don't even think Disney thought Zootopia would do this kind of business. But I'm very happy for it. But I can't tell you how it happened. I just, I just can't. What are your thoughts on it? I think it's just, uh, it just sits well with, I think, uh, various ages. I think it sits well with little kids. I think it sits well with, you know, like the the thirteen and up crowd and there's enough adult jokes in there for the adults wanting to go yeah. by themselves to go see it so i know for me i really really liked it i love the sloth i mean i went and bought like a bunch of sloth shirts and stuffed animals <laughs> and i bought the carrot pen so for someone like i just thought it was an adorable movie i liked the message and i liked the the little buddy team up between nick and judy so it's, I'm not really surprised by this. And Jason Bateman was great. Oh, my God. So good. Jason Bateman was great. The voice actor, J.K. speaking of J.K. Simmons, mm-hmm. I, he was the voice of the Mayor Lion, right? He yeah. He was the voice of the Lion. Um, so no, yeah, no, no. J- oh, yes. You're right. J.K. Simmons was the Lion's. Right. And then Idris Elba was the, the police chief. Bull? Dude, yeah. yeah. The wildebeest, I, mm-hmm. whatever it was. He, he, I love <laughs> Idris Elba and everything. Um, 
All right, guys, I think that'll do it for this installment of the John Campion podcast. Thanks for joining. Hey, listen, before I forget to mention this, uh, do me a favor. If you, want, if you want to do me a favor, you don't need to send me any money. Just hop on to <laughs> iTunes and find the John Campion podcast and make sure you rate it and leave a comment. That helps out the podcast a lot when you do that. It helps other people discover the podcast as well. So once again, just open up iTunes, search for the John Campion podcast and rate and leave a comment on it as well. You can follow me on Facebook and on Twitter simply at John Campion. Make sure you sign up for Comic-Con HQ right now. Free trial until after Comic-Con. Go to www.comic-conhq.com and sign up for your free trial today. And I want to thank my very special guest today, Miss Wendy Lee. Thank you for being here today. Where can people find you? Oh, thank you for having me. I had so much fun. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Wendy Lee Zaney. And uh, make sure you guys are following all the shows over at Collider as well. Just go to youtube.com slash Collider videos and make sure you subscribe to that channel there. By the way, you can also follow me on YouTube as well at youtube.com slash John Campia. So that'll do it for us guys for this installment of the John Campia podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us and until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>